In the spring of 2020, a box arrived on my doorstep that would change everything about my life. I live in Massachusetts now, but I'm from Hawaii, and my parents still live there. And as a result of their Marie Kondo-style purge, they'd shipped this box of things from my childhood bedroom across an ocean and a continent to the doorstep of the brick house where I live with my husband and our animals. I didn't want this box. I thought it was just going to collect dust in the basement. But when I finally opened it, I found it filled with memories of the life that I used to have. Class projects and photos and awards and chapbooks. And then, caught between two yearbooks, was this lavender journal that I had last written in 18 years before. And that journal? It opened up a doorway that flooded my life with magic. This is The Glimmering, a podcast about living in a state of magical realism. I'm Joy Ueno. I remember you in preschool. This is my friend Brad Cagano. He's a filmmaker. Brad and I have known each other since we were three years old. We went to the same preschool in our hometown on Oahu, but it wasn't until we went to college that we got close. He went to California, I stayed in Hawaii, and we started emailing each other during the fall semester of our freshman year, just weeks after 9-11. Maybe we were grasping at the things that could root us to the beginnings of our then very young lives, but we kept writing to each other. And in fact, 19 years later, at the start of the pandemic in 2020, Brad was the person, besides my husband James, who I was communicating with the most. I texted him the day the box with the lavender journal landed on my doorstep. Do you remember when that box showed up at my house? I remember the box. And like initially, I thought it was kind of you know odd that your parents would just nail you all this stuff. Me too. But yeah, I no, I've just never I didn't I've never heard of that. It's like here, here's a bunch of and it was random, right? They didn't announce, they didn't tell you that, oh by the way, we're gonna mail you a bunch of stuff. It just showed up. That makes it all the more fascinating. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> but when you went over the what was in the box, I was like, wow, that's I mean that was all I think everything in that box was very potent stuff. I mean, a lot of a lot of memories, a lot of weight in that box. Yeah, it was really interesting. And like, I think what was really weird about it was the timing of it. Yes. I think, you know, it was around the time where we were starting to understand how serious COVID was. And it was like this life review almost to look through all of this stuff from my childhood um you know through college and be like oh this is the person that you were you know almost this person that I had sort of forgotten about because there was all of these there were all of these stories that I had written and um yearbooks and things like that and I had almost like completely forgotten about all of that stuff because there are different ways to look at it or especially Given the given hindsight, but I mean, there are many ways to look at it. Even at the time, was is this a sign of some sorts? Should I go through this stuff and actually give it a look, or should I just ignore it? Should I take it out to the backyard and burn it? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many different ways to approach that box. I don't think I looked through those boxes for like weeks, mm -hmm. 
And then finally I was like, I guess I need to do something with these. And I looked through them. And then, you know, it was like, as everyone was figuring out that COVID was serious, I felt like everywhere I looked, people were, or everywhere I, I guess everywhere I looked and everywhere I listened, people were talking about how you needed to prepare for your own death just in case by like wrapping up any unfinished business that you had with other people. You took that seriously. I remember you took that seriously. Every time I heard someone say something like this, my mind would go straight to one person. I'm going to call him Jack. I met Jack about a year after Brad and I began writing to each other. We were in a literature class together. I was 19, he was 24, and it was one of those things where, even though we'd grown up thousands of miles apart, he was from the Midwest. We were instantly familiar to one another. We were also opposites in so many ways. He loved technology, I loved words. He could cook without looking at a recipe, while I mostly microwaved things. And he drank, a lot. Where I would go into mild anaphylactic shock if I drank so much as a quarter of a glass of wine. But we fell in love in the way you do when you feel like you've known someone for your entire existence, like you'd been holding your breath until they appeared, like you'd been waiting for them. We also had this uncanny way of seeing into each other's thoughts. Sometimes I'd be thinking about something and he'd start talking about it as if we were in the middle of a conversation. Once he got into a car accident and I, miles away, felt the impact of it. I thought it was wondrous. Jack did not. I should explain. Growing up in Hawaii, magic is just a part of the fabric of our lives. We were raised on the legends of the gods and goddesses who had formed the islands. I had seen spirits that looked like people made of smoke who disappeared when I couldn't avoid driving through them. I had heard night marchers, the ghosts of the Hawaiian warriors who continued to traverse the islands, late at night on the beach. We were always very aware that the islands belonged to entities more powerful than us. I think when you grow up in Hawaii, you just get this sense, apart from being told that there is magic in the land, I think you just... Like, for me, it's something that I've always felt. Do you, like, do you feel like there were particular stories that really stuck with you? Like, legends? The one legend that has stuck with me because this has happened to a couple people I know is the one with Apele hitchhiking. And, you know, you got to pick her up. If you don't pick her up, bad things will happen to you. Uh, she'll go into the back seat. She'll light a cigarette with her hands or hand. And as you turn around the mountain, uh, I think it's I think on the big island, as you turn around the mountain, she disappears. And that, and that has happened to one of my friends. And uh, they still talk about that. Also, I think there's this magic in Hawaii that's not like scary magic, but just kind of magic magic. Like, you know, when I was little, right after my grandfather died, and then for years after that, every time my grandmother would come over, there would be this butterfly that would circle in the backyard, a monarch butterfly, just until she left, and then it would disappear. And there was never any question in my family about whether my grandfather had sent that. We just all sort of knew that my grandfather had sent that butterfly. And I think that just is the way that we were raised. Like, it was just a fact of life. But Jack 
hadn't grown up the same way. He was raised in the Midwest on logic and reason and computers, in a world where you'd be called crazy if you actually believed in any of this stuff. He brushed off everything between us as coincidence. It was too risky for him to begin believing. His brother had died unexpectedly 11 months before we met. Jack had just begun to put himself back together by focusing on the dailiness of his life. I didn't get it then, but now I know that he felt like if he started believing in anything that wasn't solid, that wasn't right in front of him, his entire grasp on reality might slip away. And he held on to his lack of belief for as long as he could, until we started having shared dreams. Two days before we realized this was happening, he'd bought us both journals to write to each other in while he was away. His was black. Mine was lavender. But the day after finding out that our dreams were somehow overlapping, he freaked out and cheated on me. A couple of months after that, he moved in with the same girl and told me he'd been in love with her the entire time we were together. This is what he meant years later when he told me that he knew he had messed up with me. And he was right. He had hurt me in three parts. I know now that that is the power of fear and of grief. But before then, when he had still only hurt me once, I wrote to him in the journal he gave me while he was away. I sketched an enormous lily across the front page. I spilled all my emotions into the subsequent entries the way only a 19-year-old could. I made a list of my favorite things. It began with lilies, and it ended with the word, you. Not long afterward, I went to live in London and later in Boston. Somehow, eventually, Jack and I became friends again. And over the next decade, whenever I was going through a particularly major thing, he'd call out of the blue after months, sometimes even a year, without contact. Somehow he could tell that something was stirring in my life. And every time he moved, and he moved a lot, I knew it was happening before he told me. I could just feel it, this antsy energy, this sense that things might be better or easier in a new place. Every once in a while, I'd send him pieces of writing I was working on, and he'd write back wondering what day I'd written it, whether it was the same day he'd seen the same things in his dreams. When I finished graduate school and left a relationship in 2010, I decided to leave Boston to spend a little time back home on Oahu. As I was packing, an email showed up. It was from Jack. We hadn't talked in months. He wrote, Hey, I felt that little kick. You know, the one that tells me something's going on with you. So I thought I'd see what's happening on your end. How are you? I miss you tons. That's thousands of pounds of missing, in case you didn't know. When I got back to Hawaii, Jack, who had moved back after hopping around the mainland, flew me from Oahu to Kauai, where he was living. He was standing behind the kitchen island, making fish tacos, when he looked up and said he knew he'd messed up with me, but that he'd always thought that I was the one he'd marry, and he was ready to start a life together once and for all. He asked me to marry him. And I was not ready. 
I just ended a long-term relationship. I'd already planned on moving to the Pacific Northwest. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I also knew that Jack was in a good place then, but when I'd seen him two years earlier, he'd been drinking heavily. He told me that he had been drinking alone almost every night, but when I brought up AA, he said, it's not that bad. I was nervous about the possibility of that version of him returning. He could be mean when he was drunk, and when he took aim at me, all those old wounds opened up again. I wanted a fresh start, and getting back together with Jack felt like the opposite of that, despite the undeniable fact of our connection. So I said no, and once again, I flew away. We stayed in touch for another year, but all our interactions felt heavy, full of resentment. After one particularly toxic conversation, I told him that I thought it would be best if we stopped talking altogether. And we did. I deleted his number from my phone. I blocked him on Facebook. And when that little kick showed up, the one Jack mentioned in his email, the one that arrived whenever something was going on with the other, I ignored it. I moved back to Boston. I married someone who's always felt like home to me. Kind, funny, brilliant James. We got a dog. We moved into a brick house in a small town. I painted all the walls with colors I chose because of their names. Paris Rain, Cashmere Gray, White Dove. We got a second dog. I made new friends. I started jobs and left them and eventually opened my own photography business. Nine years passed. And then one day the world shut down around us. COVID was already running rampant through New England because of a conference in Boston, the first super spreader event in the country. It seemed possible, even likely, that I would get it. I'd never fully recovered from a bad case of bronchitis, and if I got COVID, I wasn't really sure what would happen. It was within those early months of the pandemic that I kept hearing the same thing. Finish your unfinished business, just in case. I'd already begun drafting an email to Jack when the box for my parents showed up. So I had already started thinking, I don't even know where that came from, but I had already started thinking about writing something, like a piece of fiction about that period of time like inspired by also that relationship with the person I'm calling Jack. And it was weird because I didn't even really want to write about it, but I felt like I had to, like it was like this weird impulse. And I remember saying to you, like, I wish I had the emails we wrote to each other during that period of time. And then you had all of those emails. Yeah. I've just, I just don't delete. There's no reason to, there's just so much space and, um, and yeah, I like a creep. I do go back to them sometimes. The emails you sent me were like September through December of 2002. And then this box of stuff showed up from my parents. And that journal was like October, November. I think it was like November and December of 2002. So it was really weird. Like, yeah. 
you had sent me the emails. I had already been going through them. Like all of this stuff just started kind of showing up in my memory around that time period. And then this box shows up on my doorstep with this journal from that exact time period. And I was like, okay, something weird is going on here. And I was like, what a weird coincidence. But there are no coincidences, so. I know that now. There are no coincidences. When I flipped through that lavender journal, a sheet of paper fluttered out from between the pages. It was a letter Jack had written me after reading my entries. He said a lot of things in that letter, but I think it was seeing his handwriting that made me realize I had to listen to the message I kept hearing. But I didn't know what I was going to say. I mean, what do you say to someone who you ask to stay out of your life forever? In the end, I kept it short. It was the beginning of April when I emailed him. Here's what I said. While the apocalypse seems like an appropriate time to say the things you've been meaning to say but haven't said because it never felt like the right time. Lots to say, but in some, I'm sorry. He wrote back immediately. He wanted to talk on the phone. He said he wasn't really into email anymore. I thought that was a weird thing to say since he had, for years, written me so many long emails. But we agreed on a date. I filled him in on my life, my husband, my dogs, my work. He said, great, can't wait to catch up. I put his number in my phone again. We emailed a few more times. And then, two hours before we were scheduled to speak, he wrote to me to tell me he couldn't do it. He just couldn't see how he could have me in his life again. It stung, but I told him I understood, because I did. I felt like I'd done what I set out to do, which was to let him know that he'd mattered to me all those years. And if I died, he'd know that. And that was all I really wanted. But also, there was this other thing. I could still feel into his thoughts. And I knew that he would change his mind and reach out again when he was ready. It took him more than two months. It was Father's Day. I woke up feeling off, like I couldn't quite focus on anything. It was like there was this curtain next to me, and Jack was just on the other side of it, and I knew. I knew he was going to contact me that day. When I opened Facebook, a memory popped up. It was a photo of a row of palm trees, and beyond that, the ocean. I had taken it from the lanai of his apartment nine years earlier, the last time we were together. Later that day, I posted a photo of me and my dad to Instagram. In it, I'm probably about a year old, fat and happy on his shoulders, clutching at his cloud of wavy hair. A little while later, my phone chimed to let me know I had a DM. It was from Jack. He had sent a thumbs up emoji in response to the picture. It was an odd response. I didn't know what to say, so I wrote, and hello? Hey, he said. I sent you an email earlier. Did you get it? I hadn't, but when I checked, there it was, in my inbox, timestamped two hours earlier. It's funny, I knew I'd hear from you today, I wrote. He replied, somehow that doesn't surprise me. Over the next week, we wrote back and forth. Well, mostly I wrote. Jack, who'd always sent me these great, funny emails that sounded just like him, now seemed only able to write in short, choppy sentences. 
In one exchange, he said that he was frustrated because he tried to write me a longer email, but he'd lost it. Lost it, I thought. That's what autosave is for. I knew something was wrong, but I felt like everything was still too delicate for me to bring it up. So instead I wrote, it's okay. Apparently we have the luxury of time thanks to these lockdowns. One week after he sent me that DM, I went for a run in the afternoon, and for hours afterward, I couldn't catch my breath. I was nervous. I tried to shake it off by dancing around the living room with my husband and our dogs to Fleetwood Mac's dreams, shouting, Song of the Summer! But it only made things worse. I thought it must be COVID. But by that evening, I felt better. And by the time I woke up the next morning, I felt fine again. It was a Monday. I reached for my phone and almost immediately dropped it. When I picked it up again, it was open to Instagram, to a post by one of Jack's friends in Hawaii. I smiled when I saw the photo. There he was, cheesing for the camera with chopsticks in his hand. But then I read the caption. It ended, Rest in peace, brother. It was my husband James who figured out what had happened. I'd sat in the shower for a long time, reeling, and when I came out, he told me he'd found a new story. An unnamed hiker, male, 41, from the same town Jack lived in, had collapsed on a hiking trail. He was pronounced dead hours later, after paramedics took him to the hospital. I counted forward six hours, and realized it was the same time I'd lost my breath after my run. I reached out to the friend who had posted on Instagram. She confirmed that the news story was about Jack. Even though I couldn't comprehend it, he was gone. For weeks, I barely functioned. I couldn't eat. I couldn't listen to music because it made me feel too much and every feeling led to tears. And when the tears started, they wouldn't stop. I had a hard time sleeping, and when I did, I woke up gasping while this single thought spun around in my mind. Jack's dead. I'd never see him again. It seemed impossible, like a nightmare. But on those nights, as I laid awake, I began to realize that it also seemed strange. I could see the thread through everything that had happened that spring. My compulsion to write something inspired by our connection. Brad sending along all those old emails from 2002. The journal Jack gave me from that same year showing up on my doorstep. Waking up on Father's Day with the unshakable feeling that Jack was next to me. The photo that showed up minutes later taken from his lanai. His message that afternoon. The way I'd lost my breath at the same time he'd lost his. How I dropped my phone only to pick it up to find Instagram open to the posts from his friend about his death. They felt like puzzle pieces and I needed someone to help put them together. It turned out that someone was Jack. Not long afterward, I found myself Googling mediums. I'd never seen a medium, 
And though, as a Buddhist, I believed in reincarnation, and I'd had some experiences with signs from my grandparents who had passed, I had over the years begun to believe that it all might just be part of a story we told ourselves to make death seem a little less scary. But now I needed to know. All the medium's websites were, let's just say, exactly what you'd expect. Imagine animations of crystal balls circa Geocities 1997. Lots of purple and black. Lots of papyrus font. All except one. The first one I came across, actually. And I went back to it quickly, because it felt like a safe haven. Bright, uncluttered. At the top was a photo of a beautiful woman with beachy waves and a thousand megawatt smile who looked like someone I might take a Pilates class from. Someone I'd want to be friends with. Hi, Carol. Hi, Joey. How are you? This is Carol Cottrell. She's a spiritual medium, and the first time I talked to her, just a few weeks after Jack passed, she accurately described his death. She hit upon details of our relationship, like our shared dreams, that we'd never told anyone about. He says you reached out earlier this year, and he took too long to get back to you. He's so sorry about that. He wanted to, but he was afraid, because he never stopped loving you, and it was too hard. She said that his nicknames for me were Babe and Kid, Check and Check. And then she said something that stopped me in my tracks. She said, he's showing me a lavender journal with a big drawing of a flower. Is it a lily? It's right across the front page. He says to keep writing to him in that journal. He says he'll be reading every word. Next time on The Glimmering. A few weeks later, I learned that Carol had opened up enrollment for a class about learning to connect with the other side. I had total imposter syndrome. One thing I notice when I'm working with students is they want this big like crash of something to happen and like this big like boom in your face, I can't miss it kind of thing. And I'm like, that's not how it works. It's noticing the very subtle. Why would any spirits choose me to connect with their loved ones? We're not here to prove, we're just here to be the vessel.